privilege and joy to be with you this morning and to bring you greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ from the church in the great city of Philadelphia, the one in the United States, not the one in the book of Revelation. Uh, my wife Bonnie is here with me. Our two kids are here with me. Uh, we are thrilled to be here. Uh, our kids are big dog fans. They watch every single game with their dad and often with their mom. And both of my children, Annie and William, I am proud to say, were able to call the dogs before they could utter a complete sentence. So though they are native Philadelphians, red and black does run through their veins by both nature and nurture. And uh, this weekend is a homecoming for us, and we really we thank you for bringing us here and um, for welcoming us among you. We love this city. We love this church. Uh, and it is, it is just a great privilege to join you for a time of worshiping our God together. Uh, I wonder, I've been wondering this week, how many missions conference speakers get the privilege of speaking to the missionary congregation who led them to Christ? It's a... Uh, honor. Um, you know, in my experience, most missions conferences, which are wonderful, they're centered around some sort of report from the field uh, where, where a missionary comes with great stories of how God is at work out there in some faraway place, a faraway church, a faraway city. And of course, this weekend, we've been sharing those stories on Friday night, on Saturday morning, and a little bit in the video here. Um, many thanks to Jake G., who put together a beautiful, a beautiful movie for us. But what I'd like to focus on this morning is maybe a little different. It's not so much, I don't, I, I, we've talked a lot about what God has been doing out there in the city of Philadelphia, and there's, there's much that is deeply encouraging to us. But the only reason that I have anything meaningful to say about what God is doing out there is because of what God has done and continues to do right here. Because you see, my own faith in Christ, my own calling to the ministry, is the fruit of your mission. Or more precisely, it is the fruit of your participation in God's mission here. Right here. And so as far as I'm concerned, this morning, as we gather for this missions conference and for this worship service that is uh, the capstone of it, who, who are the missionaries here? It's you. And that is how I'd like to address you this morning. Uh, as your brother in Christ, as a pastor, I would like to address you as a missionary church, because that is what you are. Your calling is a missionary calling to be the body of Christ in this place, to be the hands and the feet and the voice and the embrace and the listening ear of Jesus Christ to the people in this city and to the people at the university down the street. And so no matter what you do for a living, no matter what you spend your, your day-to-day doing, whether it's treating patients or whether it's watching markets or teaching kids or changing diapers or waiting tables, whatever it is that you do, your calling in Christ individually and your calling in Christ collectively as a church is a missionary calling. It's a calling to participate with God in whatever he will do in the particular spheres of life and work to which he has called you. 
So you are the missionaries here, and I am grateful that I get to be with you to encourage you in that calling this morning and to be able to give thanks to God and to celebrate with you your faithfulness and your fruitfulness in that calling over 20 years and to charge you as a missionary church to fan into flame that missionary spark so that in the days, the weeks, the years, the decades to come, you may become even greater instruments in the hands of our redeeming God as he does his work of healing and extending mercy and justice and salvation and peace to the world. And so to do that this morning, I want to share with you a psalm that has been particularly meaningful to me recently, Psalm 16, which is printed here in your bulletin which would probably not ever get included on the greatest hits album of go-to missions conference texts. I don't know if I've ever seen this read uh, in the context of, of the mission thing, but I think it is a profoundly powerful psalm as we think about our calling in Christ to be on mission with him in the world as his people. I think this is actually one of the richest feasts that God has given to his missionary church to sustain us in our calling. Because here's the thing, and I think this is something we too often forget or maybe even fail to believe or recognize. The thing that you and I need for ourselves in order to be sustained in our missionary calling is the same thing that our neighbors need from us if we are to be fruitful in our missionary calling. It's the same thing, and it's this. Joy in God's presence the joy of the Lord. I love that New Testament reading that Hal read for us. That's why I picked it. Where Jesus says, I say these things to you so that your joy may be full. That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Joy in God's presence is what should make us tick. It is what will energize us in mission. It is what will sustain a life of mission. And your joy in God's presence is what's going to make you compelling to the people in your life. Right? It's going to be the thing that's going to make other people see that there's something special in you that they want. That there's something enduring in you. That you're not rocked the way they're rocked by a ridiculous election season. But that you have a hope in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Or that you're not going to be rocked the way they're rocked when unbelievable suffering and tragedy comes upon you and people you love. And I know some of you are enduring incredible hurt right now. The hope of the Lord, the joy of the Lord, is not a joy that depends upon the absence of suffering the way the counterfeit joys, like pleasure and entertainment, satisfaction. It doesn't depend on the absence of suffering. It depends only on the presence of God. And that is the punchline of our psalm that we're about to read. And the rest of the psalm will take us through this journey of how do we get that joy. And so I'd like for us to turn our attention now to the reading of God's word in Psalm 16, which is printed for you there in your bulletin. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. 
The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places indeed. I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Our gracious God, our Father, we give you thanks for your word and for your spirit. And we pray that you would be with us now and attend to the preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So when I was in college, um, my roommate and I, Brian Fry, a guy that some of you know, we decided we were going to take our spring break week and canoe the Ogeechee River, which runs from East Georgia near Louisville, if you know where that is, about 50 miles south of Augusta. It runs from right near Louisville down toward Savannah, and it goes out into the Atlantic Ocean. So we decided, all right, we've got a week of spring break. We're going to canoe this river. We're going to take the week and do it, go all the way to the ocean. And so we started out. We did. My uncle dropped us off at the, at the river, <coughs> and we, um, we set out on a journey. And about a day in, the skies just opened up, and rain just, I mean rain, not like little rain, like big rain came down. And, and it started filling our boat, and we kept having to dump it out. And then it not only started to fill our boat, it started to fill the river. And it actually got to where the river came up and flooded out over the banks, which was awesome because we could go anywhere we wanted to go. It was like 360 degrees of like super river, right? It was awesome for a few minutes until we realized that the one thing we could no longer do is the one thing we actually set out to do, which is canoe the Ogeechee River. We couldn't find it. We had every option available to us, so we thought. But the actual one option that we needed was the one we just couldn't even find. And so what looked like a wide-open door with endless freedoms actually became something of a prison that we couldn't escape. And so we had to call our friend to fish us out of the river, and we went home. In the psalm that we just read, the psalmist says, you make known to me the path of life. And as you think about our life in this world, in this age, an age of endless options, an age of almost endless explanatory stories of what is happening in the world, what's wrong with the world, and where are we going, what should we be doing. We live in a world where there's an option for just everything. So much noise. 
We live in a world where we can go, it seems, in just about any direction we may want. Everything's just permissible. But the path of life is the one that begins to recede into the darkness as the light gets shined on all of these other options. And what looks in, at the beginning like, what, like it might be endless freedoms, maybe even freedoms that we would want. In reality, those things are not freedoms at all, but they're the things that eclipse the one freedom we truly need, which is how do we walk in the path of life? The true freedom that we need is to walk in the way of life. And so as we ask these questions of our world and of ourselves, where will we look for security? Where will we find contentment? Where can we find hope that will sustain us in difficult times? Or where will we turn to find true happiness? There are so many answers to these questions that are available to us that we, all, we find ourselves turning from one to, to the next to the next to the next and trying them all on to see how they fit and to see which ones are going to work and see if any one of them is the magic bullet that will lead us to that ever-elusive experience of joy, peace, flourishing. If only I had that relationship that I so desired, then I'd be happy. Or if only I could buy that house or get that promotion Maybe then I would know contentment. If only we could elect the right people, or if at least we could make sure that we don't elect the wrong people, then we would feel more secure. And of course, that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? It goes on and on and on. So many possible paths for us to choose as we try to figure out life and how we will make our way forward in this world that is both exciting and terrifying, that is both beautiful and dangerous a world in which we are vulnerable. And as we think about our life in following Jesus, and as we think about our calling as a missionary church to be the hands and feet and voice and listening ear and embrace of Jesus to our neighbors, you and I live in this world, and they live in this world. The riverbanks are flooded, and we're all looking for the path of life. We're all looking for the way of joy, and this psalm is a gift for you and for me this morning because this psalm shows us something incredibly important about that way of life that the psalmist says the Lord has shown to him. And it's just this. Lasting joy and peace come only to us when we entrust our lives to the Lord of life. When we entrust our lives to the Lord of life. It's the, the essence of what St. Augustine so famously said when he said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, O God. It's so simple, but it is so difficult to do. And whether you're here this morning and you're just beginning to think about Jesus and who he is and what the Bible is and what these things may mean for you in your life, or whether you've been around the church your whole life and you've been following Jesus for decades, this psalm has so much to say to every single one of us because, you know, trusting God with our lives is something we can begin to do in a moment, but it takes an entire lifetime of practice and endurance as we continue to learn and grow and fail and be rescued along the way, it's this journey of entrusting our lives to God daily, hour, minute by minute. And the psalmist shows us this is the path of life. This is a God-given prayer. 
Think about that. This is, the Psalms are prayers that we pray in union and communion with our risen Lord Jesus, who as the Messiah of Israel prayed the prayer book of Israel, and now through his spirit that joins us to him, we pray these in fellowship with our Savior out of the mouth of Jesus and in the mouths of his church. And so we pray this God-given prayer, words that God has given us to give back to him, and they shape us as people who follow him in mission and who walk with him in joy. And there's some significant things that this psalm shows us as we embark on that journey of praying this psalm not only with our lips but with our lives. There's some important things that this psalm shows us about what this looks like. And the first is this. We must look to God's protection, not elsewhere, for our security. The psalm begins with this cry for help. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. And so as you think about it, as we live in, in this world amid all the threats and dangers that loom, both inside of you, in your own sinful heart, that's always wanting to wreck things for you and those around you, but also in the world around us, right, where we live in a world where we are vulnerable to other people who wound us. As we live in the reality of our vulnerability in this world, this cry, preserve me, O God, is the quintessential cry of faith and a plea of trust in a God who protects. It's a cry that says, God, you are bigger than this and you're here. I'm not alone. I'm not at the mercy of my own ability to protect my life, to make my life, to protect my loved ones. Help me. This cry of faith, it's the, it's the actual opposite of our anxious fretting that says, I'm all alone, right? So the gift we have in this psalm, it's the cry of faith. These are words that go right into our own mouths from God himself for us to pray back to him that form us as people who entrust ourselves to him. And of course, this cry of faith, it comes with a warning attached. It's not simply, it's not simply a cry of faith by itself, but there's this warning that says, look, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. I won't accept the offerings they bring. I won't take their name to my lips. In other words, when, when you and I look elsewhere for security, when we place our ultimate hope in our finances or in a relationship or, or to a job prospect or our ability to control what happens to us or around us, to any of the things that we can see and hold that compete with our hearts for our ultimate love and loyalty. What we're actually doing in those spaces is wounding ourselves. We're hurting ourselves. We're actually putting our eggs in the basket of something that will only multiply our sorrows and alienate us from God and from one another. But the path of life goes another way. Will you trust God? Will you follow him in the way he sets before you? Look to God's protection, and you'll find a kind of security that no worldly safety net can offer. The assurance that you will be okay no matter what happens because God has you, and he'll never let you go. Secondly, this psalm calls us not only to trust God's protection, but also to trust God's provision. We must look to God's provision, not elsewhere, for our contentment. And contentment is a wonderful feeling when you have it, but I think the kind of contentment we're called to put on in Christ is more of a, a commitment than a feeling. It's a commitment 
to receive with gratitude what God has provided, and to be content. I've heard it said before that there are two ways to have enough money. One is to get more of it, and the other is to want less of it. I actually think the psalm holds out a vision that's better than either of those. The way to have enough of anything is to delight in God, who gives himself to you. And if you look at what the psalmist actually says here, the contentment, his contentment is enviable, right? I mean, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. And he's not just talking about, like, beachfront property in the promised land, right? It's not that he just got the sweetest lot. What does he say? Look at verse 5. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. The reason he's so delighted and so content in the provision of the Lord is because he's delighting himself in the Lord himself who has given himself. His contentment not come, not come, it does not come from getting a bigger portion or from wanting less of one. His contentment comes from knowing that the Lord is the portion. If you have him, everything else pales in comparison. And the kind of contentment that the Apostle Paul expresses later in the, in the letter to the Philippians. You know, he says, I can be rich, I can be poor, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why? Because the Lord is his portion. The Lord is his contentment. And so when you and I feel the world's tug on our hearts and we feel this powerful undertow, right, that drags us in these different directions and, and makes us want to seek contentment elsewhere, the psalm is a life raft on that ocean that drags us right back into the presence of the Lord. These are words to go in our mouths, to give back to God, to form us as a people of contentment. Will you let the psalm guide you? Will you let the psalm shape you? Will you delight yourself in the Lord? He is the great portion. This is the way of life. Thirdly, the psalm calls us not only to trust God for protection and provision, but to trust God's promise. This is the source of our hope. That God has promised not to abandon his people, to simply go the way of the world, this natural course of death and decay that things go. But instead, the psalmist so beautifully remind, reminds us by remembering and celebrating here that God has promised to deliver his people from death and decay. And you know, it's funny, when the Apostle Peter, on the day of Pentecost, gives the very first sermon in the history of the Christian church, and he quotes a few passages from the Old Testament, where he goes first is he quotes this psalm. He quotes this psalm, and he says, you know what the, what the psalmist was talking about, what David was saying as he was acting as a prophet, was about the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You will not abandon your Holy One. You will not let him see corruption. Peter sees God's faithfulness to raise Jesus as God's coming through on this ancient promise. And it's the clincher for Peter. This is how we know God is trustworthy, because of Jesus. Because of Jesus Christ, who was crucified for your sins, for your salvation, and who was raised up to live for you again. Because God kept his promise that way. We know he is trustworthy. We know we can trust him for our future. And that is the promise that is true for you if you are in Christ. What God has done in raising up Jesus from the dead, God will do for you 
if you are in Christ. No matter what happens, the faithfulness of God will prevail over your life, and he will raise you up to live with him in a world where sin and sickness and sorrow and death are no more. That is the future that is actually coming. And as you think about what it means for you and me to like begin to trust our, entrust our futures to the Lord of life, what does it look like to anchor our orientation to the future? Not so much in the future that we hope we can get, that we hope we can save up for, or that we hope we can get for ourselves or secure for ourselves. But what, if, what would it look like for us to anchor our relationship to what we do today in light of the future that God has actually promised will come, which is something far more glorious than what you could make. And it is something that is far more secure than you can undermine. It's coming. The world of God's promise and new creation is coming. Our calling here and now, in this city, your calling as a missionary church is to embody that life of the future here. To live as citizens of that world here. To live with a joy that comes from that kind of hope and promise and to live it out on the stage of a world in which sin and sorrow and death are not gone away, but are very much alive and active. They will not win the day but they are still absolutely shooting back. That is where we live. And your calling as a missionary church is to embody that future hope together, to rejoice in it together, and to share the joy. Share the joy. But you can't share the joy if you're not rejoicing in it yourself. A friend of mine wrote a book, and he said in it that there's this temptation. He wrote a book about, uh, he's, a, he's a Christian counselor, and he wrote a book about reading and applying the Bible to our lives. And he said, you know, that we're always tempted to live as a pipe in, in ministry where, where the blessing of God flows through us to the lives of others. And what we're really called to do is live as a reservoir. Be filled. So that God's love and kindness and presence, are, it's, it's filling us up and spilling out over into the lives of those around us. What would it look like for you to be filled with joy today and trusting your life to the Lord of life? And to build your future, not around what you might actually be able to build, but to get on board with God and to participate with him in the future that he's actually bringing. Finally, the psalm calls us not only to trust God's protection and provision and promise, but to trust God's presence to be the source of our joy. And I would add to be the source of our mission. There's a saying at Redeemer that you are either energized by Christ's presence or you are burned out by church activities and we're committed to being the former and not the latter. We will not build a church around a frenzied, anxious toil of building a house apart from the Lord. But rather, we will dwell in the presence of God, abiding in Christ, to be filled in him, so that his joy, his joy may be ours, our joy may be complete, and in his presence we would know the fullness of joy. And that is the punchline of this psalm. If you look at the end, 
This is the great crescendo of the psalm. It's, it's perhaps the greatest gift of all, that the way of life that God makes known to us as he charts that course through the overflowing riverbanks of a world of endless options, that the, char- the charted out course before us is a path of joy in God's presence. God calls you to a life of joy. Is that good news? Joy is perhaps the most precious jewel that adorns the Christian life. You know why? Because you can't crush it. Joy cannot be crushed or quenched because joy, unlike superficial happiness, unlike entertainment, unlike comfort, joy does not depend on the absence of sorrow, but only on the presence of God. And so it's infectious. Joy goes viral in the world in all of the best ways. And it begins with our Savior himself, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith has charted the course before us and walks with us now by his Spirit on that path of life. He says, hey, lay aside every weight, every sin that clings so closely and run. Run. Why? Because you're free. Because you can. And because this is the way of life. Joy, it's God's great gift to you. Those of you who entrust your life to the Lord of life, this is your crowning, adorning jewel. Joy in the presence of God. Do you know this joy? Do I know this joy? I mean, I need this sermon as much as any of you. I Uh, I'm not always a joyful person. I forget these things. You forget these things. We all need to be reawakened to the presence of God, to know his presence so that our joy may be complete. Are you attuned to God's presence in your life? Are you paying attention to the presence of God? Do you see the opportunities that God opens before you? Do you see what God is doing in your midst? Do you hear his voice? Do you experience in your day the presence of God who envelops you and enlivens you every day? The Father who loves you as his own child. The Son who bled and died for you, whose outstretched arms on the cross are your salvation and the embrace of God. The Spirit whose breath made the heavens and the earth and now fills your lungs and gives you life fills your heart with a love for God and neighbor? Do you know that he's here? Do you know that as you walk out the door, he's with you? Do you know his presence? Because in his presence is the fullness of joy. And that is God's great gift to you and to me in Christ. And it is also God's great gift to the world. That we who dwell in the presence of God and our joy is complete in him, are entrusted with this beautiful, precious mission of unleashing that joy in the world, in your relationships, on your blocks, in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces, with the people you hang out with, with the people you see downtown, with the people you watch football with, whatever. What would it look like for you to be so filled with joy in the presence of the Lord that the joy that you know would go viral in the world? 
beginning with the people right around you? Will you let this psalm be a God-given prayer that goes in your mouth, that you pray back to God, that shapes you individually and together to be a people who entrust their lives to the Lord of life and know the fullness of joy in his presence. The one who calls you is faithful. He will not abandon you. In him is the fullness of joy. Let us pray. Gracious God, we are so grateful for the love that you have shown us in Jesus Christ, that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us, was raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, poured out his Holy Spirit, who now lives in us, cries out, Abba, Father, to you through us, and joins us to you and to one another. May we abide in you by your grace, O God, that your joy may be in us, that our joy may be complete, and that that joy would burst forth onto the streets of Athens, Georgia, and Philadelphia, and the rest of the world as you bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We pray in the strong name of our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.